welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. This episode is brought to you by Pragma. Pragma is a back-end game engine founded by the engineering leaders who built the platforms for some of the largest live service games, including League of Legends, Fortnite, Destiny 2, and Plants vs. Zombies 2. Pragma powers services like accounts, matchmaking, and player data for the world's most ambitious live service games. The Pragma backend game engine is the only solution that is truly extensible so that game designers aren't blocked by clumsy black box designs. With Pragma, studios no longer need to hire a large backend team and get the ultimate peace of mind that their game will always be ready to scale. To learn more, simply head to pragma.gg or check out the link in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Novic Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Takei, and this is the Interview and Insights segment. Today, we're being a little meta, breaking the fourth wall, and talking about the role that those who build blogging, game consulting, and podcasting streams with the professional game development community play in our industry and the challenges concomitant with that aforementioned task, specifically building a profitable enterprise while we're at it. In other words, today we're talking about us, Novic Gaming and others like us, such as elite game developers, Deconstructor of Fun, and game makers, all niche news and advisory firms in some capacity or another, either through podcasting, deep dives, writing, newsletter, or consulting, assisting game developers across the vast spectrum of AAA, mobile, Web3, indie, investing, to make decisions across production, business, design, economies, and more. And so to do so, I've gathered some of the best in the biz. First, our very own Aaron Bush, co-founder of Novik, and another voice you've heard on air all the time. Aaron, say hello. Hello, hello. Next, uh, representing Deconstructor of Fun and a prior life in Game Makers is Joseph Kim, ex-podcast host on Deconstructor and current host at Game Makers, which he somehow finds time to do um, during his day job of being CEO at Leela Games. Welcome, JK. Thank you. And finally, closing us out is Joachim Akren, founder of Elite Game Developers and formerly the co-founder of Next Games, which was acquired by Netflix in 2022 for 70 million. Welcome, welcome. Hey, thanks, Alex. All right, so the super team has assembled, and now it's all time for you to start arguing about whose podcast is better. Um, <laughs> but I kid, uh, in all serious, we're here to discuss a pretty meta issue for us all, and that's although there are 3 billion gamers in the world by the latest survey data, the count of gaming professionals across the globe pales in comparison, and, but what I, and by what I've read, probably sits around 330 to 500K in the West. Furthermore, this is parsed into a few select pieces, AAA developers, mobile developers, indies, Web3 DGENs, business folks, so like PMs, biz dev, finance, and investors. And each one of our podcasting brands has dug their heels in to find a further niche. So Game Makers is described as a free resource for other mobile game developers with an emphasis on free-to-play. Elite Game Developers brands itself as an online resource to help gaming founders. Deconstructor of Fun holds the crown for probably the most popular news podcast, i.e. information distribution and discussion of trends. And then finally, Novix niche is the business of gaming, helping any gaming professional do business stuff. And so it's important to see here that none of us truly serve the 3 billion 
player consumer side, unless those players happen to also be industry professionals. And thus the conundrum is, how do we build a profitable business off the backs of the same audience we're all competing for? Not to mention there's another unspoken competitor in the room, which is anybody with a LinkedIn account or a Substack. So to start, we're going to give some grounding on what our organizations do and how big they are. So let's go around a circle. Um, Aaron, I would love to start with you. Could you describe you know, who works at your organization, what services you provide, um, etc.? Yeah. And I guess the, the first thing I would say is that none of us are really content companies, right? We're all content-fueled businesses in some way that you know make money doing other stuff, which I think is a pretty big difference compared to like the B2C world or even just you know people who are individual on Substack or something like that. So uh, there's interesting you know differences in there to dig into. But revenue-wise, Novik is vast majority a consulting business, um, you know, helping teams with game design, economy design, market research, due diligence, etc. Um, and we use content as really a top of funnel way to build our audience, our brand, and of course, give back to the community. You know, my roots from starting Master of the Meta way back in the day, just for fun, have kind of always veered around, you know, just creating content, learning about the businesses of games, and then, you know, increasingly leaning on other people who have much more expertise and a bunch of other things that I don't to kind of fill us out in a lot of ways. Plus, it's just fun to build like an internal community of, uh, of contributors. And so, um, Navik, we have really five employees essentially that are full-time, but we have another 30-ish or so contributors that are wide-ranging in focus. Um, some of them lean on Navik for a good chunk of their income through consulting. Um, and of course, we have you know many others who have full-time jobs as game designers, as founders, product managers, you name it, um, that contribute in other you know, ways, often lighter ways, such as joining the podcast or you know, writing the newsletter once a month, uh, for example. Um, and you know, even though managing a, a system uh, you know, that has many, many people, um, it, that brings about operational complexity and headaches sometimes. But you know, we find that it's worth it because it allows us to dig into more types of topics in a higher quality way, more globally, and allows us to reach more um, people who aren't just you know, like adding another you know, see the number go up on the newsletter, but, you know, like build a real relationship with, with us as a company. And that leads to to more upside um, and other ways on on both sides. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I guess that would probably be <laughs> my answer to your question. I'm not sure if there's other areas you want to dig into um, there, but I'll, I'll say like our goal has never been to reach the most people. It's just always been to reach the best people. Um, and that's just kind of a reflection of who our business is and the types of people that we that we ultimately serve, and that has like big trickle down effects on how we think about content and how we you know push ourselves out and in, into the world. But hopefully, that's a good summary of Novik and content there. Got it. And so before we pass it to JK, succinctly, basically, and this is obviously, I'm cheating because I'm very familiar with Novik. We have about 30 to 35 people split, um, basically one third, one third, one third between podcasting, writing, and consulting. And then we've got a couple podcast pipelines. We report on the news. We do some interview structuring. And then we basically do weekly deep dives and a biweekly newsletter. Um, and we also provide consulting services. So is that the way that I would describe Novik in a uh, nutshell? That's what I should have said at the very beginning. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right, I'll go. JK, what about Game Makers? 
Yeah, so GameMaker started off as a blog. Really, the objective initially was just more as a learning and sharing platform where I would write about some learnings that I had in the hopes of getting feedback and hearing from people out in the audience somewhere who would be reading what I wrote about. Uh, since then, I think in, in the current form, it's more of a newsletter, um, YouTube podcast, but I would say that the current objective of what I'm doing and why I spend time developing content is that it turns out that, uh, similar to, to Aaron, it's not like a primary business, right? I actually spend less than five hours a week in terms of content. But for me, it's been something that's been very helpful in, in the sense that all of our best employees at the company, so you know, my full-time job is running a free-to-play game studio working on an FPS shooter game, but all of our best employees have joined because of content that they've, um, that they've, you know, watched or read about things like that. So that I think from a reach perspective and and being able to find the kind of people that we're looking for, it's been very powerful. And also from an investment perspective, like I didn't have to actually reach out to many investors because people were aware of, of, of me and some of our content. And even during our you know, seed round of funding. Um, this was back, and, and by the way, just to be clear, I don't, I don't represent uh, Deconstructor Fund anywhere at all. It's been a while since I've done that, so I don't think I can speak too much on Deconstructor. But I, I can talk about a little bit about the past. But back in those days, I had mentioned on a podcast that we were going to be raising funding, and then um, that round, as well as our Series A round, I would say that uh, the the fact that I was doing content and investors became aware of our activities it really helped us close those funding rounds. And so I, I do think that um, to the point about for the game development ecosystem being so small, I, you know, I would find it hard to, I think it'd be very difficult to just create a standalone business or at least in the ways that, that all of us are kind of doing content right now. If you want to, if, if you want to have a, um, a business that that makes a lot of money. I don't think that's the approach, but I do think that there are these um, other effects in terms of reach and being able to, um, you know, reach out to people in the industry that that might make a difference for your other business, whatever that may be. Got it. So you're a YouTube um, podcast and um, a written blog, and how many people? Newsletter. newsletter and mm-hmm. how many people work at game makers are you a one man a one man show it's, it's or it's basically a one man thing although i'm trying to change that so i have um uh, we have be uh, because it's recruiting related i i do so our hr at lila games um will prepare market data for for me and then i'll kind of go in and and um and you know comment and at, at, and look at one game a week so <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't do much now, but now that recruiting is becoming even more important for us, I do plan on increasing my time from like, call it five hours a week to, to 10 hours a week. Got it. Interesting. And a sh- shout out to your co-founder, JK. He's great with his videos. Like Paul. Oh yeah. Like, Paul, like what? when Paul makes videos, he's, he does like, so I would say Mike, I'm, I'm more a quantity. He's more a quality. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing stuff. Can't wait for a new video. It's been a few years already. So. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell him. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, he is planning on doing something. I think it's going to blow people's minds if, if he actually pulls this off. But uh, yeah, we, we won't see that for another couple of months. But if he does what he's planning, I, I, think, I think it's going to be very entertaining. <laughs> Such a Good. tease. 
<laughs> All right, yeah, okay, this is a perfect time to 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 kick it to you. Yeah, like so I started in 2019. That was 4 years ago about right right now it's coming up. Um so it's um it's a newsletter and a podcast and I I do uh like a lot of online templates that you can download like a like an NDA template for instance for your company or um like a cap table breakdown, like different kind of documents that that are useful as tools when you're doing a, a gaming startup. So I put together that that kind of um, it's like a knowledge base or resource uh, for for founders, and that's that's the focus. Um, I did have a lot of aspirations early on to actually monetize through premium content. Like uh, like I remember, it was like under a year since I'd been live. I I put out the course, like an online course, paid online course on Teachable, which was um, five ninety nine, uh, where you get five hours of lecture videos from me on how to pitch to investors, like games company, and uh, and you get three three pitching training calls with me over Zoom, um, which you can book to Calendly. So I think. That went quite well. I've sold probably like fifty of those courses over the the years, uh, and several founders actually ended up going VC backed after they went through the course. So the success rate, probably a monetizing side of things, it's not like something I could make a living on, but it's it's been very impactful for a lot of founders and companies. So I think. With these kind of businesses, it's sort of like you you can't really. It's not about like okay, you know, you're you're gonna you have a limited amount of runway and you need to achieve something or you go bust. But with when you're doing like a newsletter or podcast, it's more about like oh, there's always going to be an, another newsletter next week, another podcast next week, and it grows and grows and people find you and there's less churn than there's a new user acquisition. Let's say like organically coming up that's what i've seen so it, these are these are kind of businesses that aren't worth a lot in a few years but like 10, 10 years into this this might like i might have like a really interesting business in my hands but i don't treat it as a like a salary business um uh, we're probably going to go into that later but like i i do like a lot of angel investing and uh i have an angel syndicate as well which i operate and all of those kind of funnel back towards like complementing each other as businesses. That's really interesting. Um, I don't know if you know of like Brad Feld from Foundry Group um, who runs Venture yeah. Deals um, and they do a similar course where you can just download it. It helps you. It's it's not as, it's not bespoke to gaming, right? It's for the basically the Silicon Valley entrepreneur, but it is like a very interesting monetization strategy to sell that content, talk about pitching, talk about how to you know, organize your cap tables, et cetera. So um, it's really cool to see like how many different value propositions each three of us have. And it's like, you know, we talk about this is like, oh, very niche, like game business people. But Novik is like mostly a consulting business for game economies. JK is using his as like a free-to-play recruiting tool. You're using it also like as a deal sourcing engine and mostly founder focus. And so I think it's really interesting. A lot of us have mentioned a little bit um, about what, kind of drives revenue in those capacities. And so I'd love to go a little bit deeper into that, right? Sort of like what are our business models given 
those specific niches. Um, and so Aaron, maybe we'll bump back to, back to you. I would love to talk about what, are, what sort of drives revenue and what sort of drives ROI. Because as we have kind of succinctly said, you can't really do this thing like on its own. There, used to, there needs to be some sort of other um, activity that you're almost like pairing alongside of it. Uh, so it's a it's a good question. Um, the the way I think about our business model and ROI is that um, obviously we have a consulting business where you know we meet clients, get hourly rates, sometimes longer term projects, and you know built up a great roster over time. Um, content has always been core to what we do. So you know we we've had you know Novic Pro, which is like a premium like a uh, research business that you know did pretty well from the standpoint of like, you know, if you were a Substack writer, like you, you would wish that you had our, our numbers for, you know, like a premium tier, but as a business, you know, like it's, it's a bit different. And so we're making some, some changes there um, to, to kind of put less emphasis on premium and more emphasis on just like truly scaling out awesome free content. And so there's much more to come about that, you know, and, and, and the weeks ahead that we're excited about, but really the, the way that I have, Kind of think about this and what I've learned is that um, a lot of this, a lot of this is from the last business I was at, the Motley Fool, which published a lot of content about investing, but monetized through like premium services of like you join a fund or you subscribe to some investment advice service or or something like that at different tiers. And what I learned from that that I have have taken to Novik is that I think a lot of people think about like the user acquisition funnel. Or just like an audience funnel backwards, um, where in a B two B sense, typically what's not the best thing to do is just focus on building an awesome large audience and then selling them something. It's actually more the reverse, where you start with more the product that you have and then build from that to kind of determine what your content is and what um, what your focus is on, like what you put out onto the free side. And, and the reason for that is because um, when you kind of start from the the bottom of the funnel, so to speak, and you build your foundation there really well, what changes is that the LTV of your audience just becomes a lot higher because you know one single conversion um, changes you know the economics pretty heavily um, uh, on what makes sense to do. And so for us at Novic, we're trying to think most about like what are the products and services that we can offer to truly generate the most value to as many people we can across the industry. Um, and then once we have that set, then it's thinking about, all right, how do we reinvest into like really building our brand and our audience and like helping the the industry more broadly through all of the content and other things that that we that we do. Um, and so that's, you know, at a high level view how we think about ROI. But when it comes specifically to content, just a couple of quick um, things I'll say is that not all content is created equally. Some content definitely has much higher ROI um, than others or to different different people. And so, you know, what we've learned is for example, we have we published a, a game deconstruction on Axie Infinity a couple of years ago. Um, that was one really awesome long form piece of content. That probably had a hundred x the impact of anything else we did that quarter, um, and so there's something really powerful and um, recognizing things like that. The other part too is, and I, I alluded to this before, is that for us at least, it's not about building the largest audience; it's about building the best audience for us. Because 
um, one relationship, one new right relationship can be pretty transformative and move the needle um, for us as a business, also revenue wise, and then allow for even more reinvestment. And so much of what we do is focused on like truly serving the people that we want to be in business with over a long period of time. And that informs um, so much of the the decision making that goes on. And there's still so many ways that we can improve and things to learn and new ways to grow um, and such. But that's the the mindset that we have right now. Mm, mm. Um, And so, JK, is that, and for Joachim, is that sort of the same for you? Sort of like serving the right customer versus a broader base appeal? Wondering whether or not you guys can also talk about that as a strategy um, for each of your individual brands. Yeah, well, I mean, I can start. For me, it's it's more about recruiting and learning. So I, I do think like if there was a focus more on revenue or reach or things of that nature, the, the way that I would be oriented and the topics that I, I would cover would be completely different, right? Because if you... If, if I were more focused on reach or trying to reach more people, I the, the content would be more consistent and you, you would be trying to follow topics. Like to Aaron's point about Axie Infinity, there are certain topics that if, you, if you're fast and if you're current, you're going to get a lot more users. And so the way that I've, I've oriented my content is more around what's going to help my business. So for example, as I was going through the fundraising process, I released a lot of podcasts on fundraising. Um, I, if if I am interested in a specific topic like the impact of IDFA deprecation, things like that, then I do a podcast on that. And so to some degree, I'm kind of niche and my content is niche because I'm only covering the topics that, that will help me or that I'm interested in. So this is the but JK do, problem podcast, basically. <laughs> it could be, yeah. But I, I would say that, um, you know, the, 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 the way I, I, I do think though that one of the things I do think is more important is more reach. So while I probably will still try to focus 50 to 80% of, of the content that, that I work on, on things that are relevant, current to me, I do think there should be more content that can be like an Axie Infinity type of, um, you know, uh, t- type of episode to, to, to draw in more, uh, to be more effective on the reach side. And so I also think that I'm going to try and um, put a little bit more time in and also just get a little bit more help. Uh, so so I'm, I'm exploring things like that right right now, but um, you know, haven't, haven't started yet. In a way, like Elite Game Developers was always about the founders. Uh, that, that was the, the idea to actually like the mission and everything to help founders not sort of like learn everything the hard way. Uh, so I went through a lot of uh, interesting times in startups and I definitely want to share those kind of learnings. So it's, in a way, um, the customer is very clear for me, like who it is. It's the found gaming founder, a person who wants to do a startup. Uh, it's a long tail of people out there. Uh, so I, this Monday, I posted a, a, a uh, so like a question on on LinkedIn about like who wants to who wants to go and and record a, a pitching session with me that goes public on YouTube where I give feedback. And I got like hundreds of requests. There's like people, so many people out there with pitch decks trying to reach investors. Of course, it's like very limited amount of people who, who get in into the racing from a VC. But I, I think like I want everybody to have the chance to, to, you know, get better at it, get better at like what they're trying to build, uh, 
learn what's going on inside the investor's mind because it's not a lot of people are sharing um which is part of the the thing that like all of us showed up on the scene in, in in the last five years so deconstructor was a blog before that but the podcast really blew it up and in i think people's knowledge i don't think there was really like a serious sort of like a, a business um, sharing and uh like posting of these these kind of things that we're doing all of us nowadays yeah yeah um i think like that is yours is particularly interesting because it's also as the founder of elite game developers you're uniquely equipped to help people with that because of like what you have done in the past and so i guess a question for you is when you think about growth you've got a hundred applications to do a pitch session um and maybe uh you are currently right now maybe like a smaller like one man show shop how do you plan to sort of scale that and grow that over time as that becomes probably pretty unsustainable to basically be a really strong guide and mentor to all of those founders if that's that if the demand there is so high so i've i've come to the conclusion i can keep it as a one man show as long as i don't start expanding into like what i'm doing like if i do a newsletter on a weekly basis if there's a podcast like and i don't do more than that like i share some tem- new templates and and like things like that but it can be something that I don't really need another person if I reach. Now I have almost 10,000 subscribers on the newsletter. If it goes to 20, 30, 40,000, like I don't need another person to to handle the like the load. So it's it's great what what you know all these modern technologies can give you. And now we're having AI come and assist us as well. So it's looking really bright for the one man show, I'd say. Got it. And in terms of the growth for the, for the newsletter, right? Where do you feel like that has really been driven from? Um, have, has that was that something that was done purposefully, intentionally, blasted and marketed in specific areas? Um, talk about your journey from like zero to ten thousand newsletter subscribers. Yeah, sure. I think like everything started and still is like a lot of social media pull in. Like I, I do a lot of posting every day on social media, so that helps people to discover me uh so i would say like virality is really cool like i hear a lot of people tell me that oh yeah i'm I'm sending your newsletter to a lot of people immediately so that's just happening organically and i don't need to do anything else besides not hold back on what kind of content i i post uh i I think the, the third sort of angle there is like just keeping making interesting content um, and I will sort of take care of it of itself. So I don't do any, any marketing. I have done like these things called lead magnets, which are the templates. I don't know if, if you guys know the term <laughs> lead magnet, which, which helps you to grow an email list. So that was, that was the intention with the, the, the templates in the early stages. But now I've actually started creating more and more just, direct links to a Google spreadsheet on my website that here you go. So it's, I, I think it's, there's a certain point where it just starts growing on its own. Mm-hmm. And have Aaron and JK, have you experienced any of this type of growth where it's mostly organic or has there been a, a different story for the growth to whatever number of newsletter subscribers that Novik or GameMakers has? I mean, it's been purely organic 
in in different ways. And there's still a ton of things that we're really bad at. Like Navic and social media are <laughs> is a really bad compo right now. There's so much more we could do and learn from you know Joachim about what what how to improve. Um, and you know other areas like SEO, we know we can do better. And you know we're taking steps towards all of these things. Um, but really, you know, all of our growth really has just come from like great content standing out and people sharing it. Um, and different content resonates with different people. Um, even having different contributors has helped us because you know we have different people sharing different things in different different places, um, and and that's nice. And so there's you know always been like a a slow and steady trickle of you know new subscribers at least you know for for newsletter um podcast over time with you know occasional bursts here and there depending on something that gets shared more um for whatever whatever reason and of course you know you you see some growth too whenever you make certain changes like we haven't had success with the the lead magnets so to speak despite our attempts although we did we did wrong there but um, we, we definitely have had, you know, once we have like changed the cadence of the newsletter or launched a new type of like podcast segment or something like that, we've, we've seen more, more growth come from different places as well. Yeah. And I guess that also like brings up the question of like growth in a specific vertical vertical. So like growing listenership on the podcast or a horizontal lateral expansion across media formats and services that you provide. And so I think Novik is actually maybe a little bit different than the other than than game makers or elite game developers where there's actually like a vast suite of services that are able to be provided versus game makers a little bit more podcast and newsletter and then Joachim is more of like the founder the founder journey and anything that they need and help and assistance with that um so how do we think about like kind of like running deep in terms of like one specific vertical and growing that way or growing horizontally i'm pretty focused on niche topics so i think out of all of us i'm probably the most niche uh, but yeah, it's 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 tough. I I, I think the the broader you go, the I think the the, the greater the top of funnel. Um, and I, I do think that um, just going back to the previous question, I I do think social media does have a, a big impact. I, I know, like I'm probably the absolute one of the worst in the world at Twitter. So I mainly just read on Twitter, and, and anytime I post something, yeah. it's like it's like. But, you but know, to be honest, plant. like it took years. <laughs> it took it took years for me to. It's still <laughs> crawling on Twitter, but LinkedIn worked. I don't know what, what I'm doing. Right. Like that works on LinkedIn, but Twitter, it's still crickets. Yeah, LinkedIn, I think I do okay. But on Twitter, I, like some of the people I know, in, in like for some of the other newsletters that I follow, it does seem like Twitter is a huge a component in terms of driving virality and, and growth on their newsletters. So I, I, but I, I just don't think there's, there's a good, I think you need a certain level of scale or traction or reason for people to read your Twitter stuff, which I don't have right now. So I'm probably going to wait. And then when the time is right, maybe try to grow Twitter later. But uh, um, anyway, going back to, 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 to the question, uh, I'm, I'm pretty niche and hopefully we'll broaden, broaden up a little bit in, in the near term future. Got it. I, I think going, going deep, um, is underrated versus broad um, in the sense that like you can really capture a specific audience if you're consistent and high quality about something specific like what Joachim does you know with founders is very specific and goes very deep over time into lots of different topics and it seems to be doing 
um, very well. But I don't think there's like one recipe for success. But like the most important thing at the end of the day is just like the quality of your content. And, you know, whether it's good enough to resonate with a lot of people and get shared and get, you know, start conversation and things like that. So that's always, always the battle at like every step of the way, like getting aligned on like what the content should be, you know, making sure the analysis is right, you know, you know, doing our best to play whack-a-mole with typos and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, for us as a team, you know, maybe we we see more of the complexity there that just arises when you have different people on different functions doing different things that is a lot easier to manage as a one-man show. And I'm also bullish on, on you know, people being able to step up and kind of scale themselves in more ways over time, too. Um, but yeah, going deep is underrated. But really, at the end of the day, what matters most is just like the quality of your content, in my opinion. Yeah. And I guess that brings us to the question of 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 quality of content is a derivative of the quality of labor in a way. Um, and so right now, like JK and Joachim, you guys are a little bit more of like one-man shows, but I'd love to hear your perspectives on recruiting and growing new um, talent to join join your team. And I think Joachim, you'd mentioned something about you don't think of this as being a salary-oriented business. But um, you know, I was actually writing a paper um, in my leadership and entertainment class um, at Stanford, and uh, you know, we there's been all these trends in terms of like Waypoint um, being canceled at Vice. Um, there was G4 TV, which is another brand that was supposed to be making games TV content that totally got canceled. And kind of the the theme is that you know nobody there's too many like chefs in the kitchen, right? There's everybody on LinkedIn, everybody with a sub stack, right? So how do you, and and basically everybody has this tremendous amount of publishing power. So how do you recruit somebody to come join like game makers or elite game developers or Novik when they could also just like kind of self-publish themselves and kind of build and start to build their own brand? Um, How do you guys think about recruiting top voices? And maybe Joachim, since you had mentioned um, the salary business thing, maybe I'll I'll bump it to you. Yeah, Yeah, like I had recently a guest author on my on my newsletter which was like something probably like a year ago i would have sort of felt like oh it's my newsletter i'm not sure if i want to bring anybody on board but i have uh, had kim kim nordstrom come in and write about like his work and as an advisor for gaming companies uh he, he used to be at king and then at paradox and like he's he's actually writing a book right now about leadership in gaming and uh he he was really good and like his the 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 open rate for the emails that went out with his his uh, piece were amazing and i heard that he got a lot of new people reaching out to him uh because of this so i i think like maybe thinking about like recruiting people is more like hey do you want to utilize my platform to bring out something that it's important for the industry like kim had like a really good topic that he covered so i'm i'm happy to do that use my sort of like the platform as a, a megaphone for people who really resonate with the mission that i have hmm. got it and what about you jk anything yeah similar so, to that so there isn't like a whole lot of revenue associated with with the mm-hmm. with the content, I, I think all of us, right? We, we 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 do it for another objective. But I, you know, having done it for a long time in terms of like starting with a blog and keeping that old audience all the way through, 
I, I think one thing that um, Game Makers offers is just access to some really high level people in the industry. Um, so and, and maybe one thing I can push back on you, Aaron, is that I also do think that while quality is important, it does seem that quantity and consistency can sometimes be more important than quality. And so, you know, kind of what I've noticed is even if, if, if I'm just a little bit more regular, that numbers tend to go up more than if I just kind of, you know, kind of scattered in terms of approach and things like that. And, and one change, and one of the reasons why I want to devote more time to, to game makers content and to actually try to grow up more is that I, you know, I increasingly feel this is something that I, I now call the RRR principle is that basically you want reach first, you get the reach, then you get the revenue and that equals relevance. Um, it's, it's, it's supposed to, uh, you know, um, there, there's a little bit of tie back to, to Scarface if, if you guys uh, notice that reference. But anyway, um, so yeah, so I actually think that, you know, reach is really important. Um, that's one thing where I, I actually am probably going to be thinking about, you know, how do I broaden the audience? Because the, the more reach I have, the more, the better the recruiting gets. And I, I think the, the the more people I reach, the, the the better I'm able to to learn from more people. More people get access to the content that that I deliver, and then you know, oftentimes, as, as you guys likely know, when when you publish a piece on something, um, a lot of feedback that you get through DMs and feedback can really help sharpen your thinking. So um, that's one change for me is that I do I I think I've underinvested, even though like having this content platform has been so impactful to the business in terms of recruiting and being able to raise our rounds of financing and things like that. So uh, that's one change for me is I, I do plan on investing a lot more and going for reach and more, more quantity as well as hopefully quality. And, and where, where do you think you are going to get these people from? So this is going back to the main premise of like the fact that there are not that many gaming professionals as compared to the consumer side. Where do you plan to sort of find and reach to the people that you haven't reached to yet? Yeah, and I mean, I've talked about this before on the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. Like one of the reasons why I, I kind of retired was like, I felt that... Um, if I'm going to go back and do more content that either want to go deeper or go more broad. And mm. uh, I, I mentioned this before, but you know, my brother-in-law has a, has a golf YouTube channel. I remember we both started around the same time in terms of YouTube. And I remember telling him, you know, how many old people that play golf are going to be on YouTube? Are you sure there's like a shit ton of game people, but I don't know how many golf people there are. And, you know, today he has 370,000 subscribers. He's got, He's got so many videos that have reached over 1 million views. And I, so I think to, to like where we are, it is a niche audience, right? The, the game development ecosystem is much smaller. But I also think that there's yeah. things that we are not quite doing right because there are like game news, YouTube channels and other, other folks that have gotten substantially greater reach than we have. Um, but I also think it is platform dependent as well. So like when, when I first started the podcast on Deconstructor Fun, it was the right time. And so we were able to mass audience very, very easily and organically. 
and it just blew up. And, and uh, by the way, like the, the thing that really blew up the Deconstructor Fun podcast was when we not only did the, the weekly Twig news segment, but then I then added in a weekly like um, interview. And so then that consistency and having more regular content really drove the numbers higher. And then after that, then we got e- even more famous people on. And then like, you know, you get Tim Sweeney or something like that, and that drives things higher as well. So I... Anyway, I, I, I think that that's kind of the, the direction where I hope to get to, but you know, um, I know so the other thing too, is like, I, I've got, I've got a full-time job that is a priority. So sometimes I might disappear for a bit just cause like, you know, things are always on fire. Sure. Um, and so you have been saying that there are things that we are doing wrong. And actually like I, one of my, one of my questions was kind of like, what, Tell us about how Deconstructor monetized, which I suspect I know how, and tell us about how Game Makers does that, and whether or not anything that was happening at Deconstructor informed what you're gonna, what you're doing now at Game Makers. And you mentioned that I want to go more deep or I want to go more broad, and so right now you're going more deep. Um, and because of the scale of Deconstructor, they're able to monetize through an yeah. ads-based well, business, which is distinctly different than none of us have mentioned ads once, which is, I think, actually just really fascinating. But could you talk a little bit more about the things that you think we're all doing wrong? Because I think like that's, <laughs> that's just like where we can really, really learn. Uh, can, can I drop, drop one thing here? Yeah, so sure. I think like uh, cross-promotion, we could do a lot better like mm-hmm. between all of us. Uh, I, I, like I usually read everybody's newsletters, but I don't really see a lot of links to, to each other's like newsletters. That mm. That's like something we could do. I, I think the audience overlap is amazing. So just, and it's not like if somebody's re- reading, uh, you know, Deconstructor Fund, they're not going to read Novik or the other way around. I, I think it's like those kind of, like, you know, if you're thinking about growing, that, that's the, the most obvious thing we should be doing. Interesting. Yeah, collusion. I like it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna do, we can do what uh, mobile games do, which is just everybody will market their own games and their own portfolio to the same users. Um, so <laughs> that's perfect. Um, JK, sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, so I think in terms of things that we're doing wrong, I, I think it it depends on the the medium. So... I think one thing Joachim is doing right is essentially the things that he has in terms of templates and things like that. And uh, I know, Aaron, you mentioned that you tried lead man- magnets, but it didn't work out so well. I do think there's a path there where whether it's through free tools that you have to sign up for to subscribe to the newsletter and Twitter, which, you know, again, I suck at and I'm not going to do for a long time, but I, I do think those can help drive newsletter. Um I, I, like a, a few weeks ago, I, I checked out all of our YouTube numbers. Well, not maybe not you, Joachim, but like um, whether it's it's you guys or me or Deconstructor, the, the YouTube numbers are like bad, right? So, so I I think like um, the, the biggest platform is obviously podcast, right? So, so like on podcast, you can drive a big audience, especially if you have regular content. And I, I would say I think by regular, you should be posting at least two episodes a week. I don't do that. But if you really want to drive podcast, I, I think that's what it takes. Um, and then on YouTube, I, I think that they're either the content, the format or something is just not working. Um, I mean, in some cases, like I, I think my best video was a uh, Tim Sweeney interview and that's got like 44, 45 K views. But like, I, you know, I, there's, unless you got someone super famous, I don't think I mean, you know, uh, and and some of my YouTube stuff does uh, a few thousand, but the 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 ones that that don't will just do a few hundred, and that's that's you know, 
uh, th- there's something that could be done better on on YouTube as, as an example. Um, so so yeah, so I would say newsletter. I think you got to figure out viral loops um, and lead magnets or free tools that that you have to subscribe to to get access to. Um, YouTube, I think it's it's a format thing as well as just co- trying to figure out that platform better. And podcasts, I think you, you need to have regular content twice, at least twice a week. And you need somebody interesting, like somebody like, you know, one of the great things about um, Deconstructor of Fun Podcasts is we were able to get Eric. And Eric Kress is just extremely entertaining, smart, you know, and he's just, he's a natural, he's a natural guy. And I, I think that also helped a lot when, when we were growing as well. Yeah, yeah. I actually just uh, Crest came down for the Sanford conference panel thing that I had the other day, so we caught up, which is always very fun. And he's, he's sitting in the back of the classroom, yeah. just like taking yeah. shots at people, which is just always yeah, the best. A- the, thing that, <laughs> the, the thing that I, I don't think, so, and, and by the way, to your point, um, Alex, there are a lot of new people kind of jumping on trying to do podcasts and things like that, but like. I got to say a lot of them don't understand the entertainment side. Like if you're going to do a podcast, people don't just want to sit there and, you know, hear you drone on about this, whatever. Right. But you, you need a little bit of entertainment. You need a little bit of fire and pizzazz. And that's the one thing that I think Eric Kress really brought to the Doff podcast is uh, dude's entertaining and he's got insight. That's, that's the magic formula. You, you need both. Isn't the entertainment even more like highlighted on YouTube, like that that kind of angle? Yeah, what do you yeah. Think? definitely. Yeah the, yeah, the other thing I would say too is like, uh, at least for for us, JK, like, or at least for I'll speak for myself, like, we're not making YouTube specific videos, right? We're mm-hmm. we're like having conversations that we're putting all over the place. Uh, yeah. If we were to make content specifically for YouTube, it would probably look really different, um, right. and maybe we should. Maybe that's down the road or or something something <laughs> yeah. like that. Um, but I think it's just a completely different type of content and skill set that goes into to making like each of these you know verticals really really pop um, right. in their own way. And for Novik, I mean, the thing that we're gonna lean more into is just like we we've, we've seen now what type of content works the very best for us and drives the most traffic and signups and things like that. Uh, like I mentioned, like the Axie Infinity deconstruction. We had another one before on like Genshin Impact or, you know, like uh, Piers Kicks, who's at Delphi and has done a lot of, you know, work with, with Bitcraft too. Um, you know, he wrote a, a piece called like Into the Void where crypto meets the metaverse that, you know, these are like really in-depth, long form con- like content that are saying something fresh, are hitting the zeitgeist and, um, yep. you know, like just drive a lot of interest in some way. Uh, but they're also really hard to do. And the reason we haven't done much of that is because, <laughs> like, one, it's hard to do. Not many people can pull it off. Um, and um, also, it's just like finding the right business model to support that kind of thing consistently um, is hard. Um, like, you can't rely just on volunteers to make something like that happen. Um, most people themselves can't do that repeatedly. Um, and even you know, for us with Novik in a consulting business, where we've kind of been reinvesting in the content in different ways, it's hard to just you know reinvest into that. And then there are trade offs with what do you drop for other things. And so you know, we're thinking about like how do we scale that up and kind of infuse some of these new business models. Like we invest a lot of our own capital from Novik to you know make all of the content we do possible across all the contributors, editors, things like that. Um, but you know, how can we start infusing? 
like we, Alex, you said we hadn't mentioned ads, which is interesting. You know, we're going to start thinking about like who are really like the best partners for us um, that can that are aligned with what we're doing, who can even contribute um, in in some way, partner with us on stuff to c- create more of this content that we know pops. That you know, I suspect will then kind of drive more audience building and growth and things like that. But of course, we'll see as we as we go. But the more the hard thing about going broad is that like for each specific thing you focus on, whether it's a newsletter or a deep dive or a podcast mm-hmm. or YouTube, each of those specific things takes very different, uh, as I mentioned, like skill sets and like types of effort to really make each one pop. And so when you go broad, you can cover a lot of space, um, but it's harder to like really make any one specific thing um, pop. And so, you know, we're going to gonna go back to our roots where we know that we can make things excel and try to use that to kind of drive the, the feedback loop, the engine of, of everything else, so to speak. So we'll try. We'll see what happens. We'll, we'll all learn along the way. Yeah. Oh, by the way, just a real quick point on Joachim's point about, you know, collaboration. I, I do think that that's also pretty powerful. Like, um, it was like a week or two back, I, I saw a big spike in my subscribers and I was like, oh, that's weird. I wonder what that was from. And then I got some DMs uh, mentioning to me that I was in Benedict Evans, like he had linked one of my art articles. And I, I, I went and I tried to find it. I was like, where is this? And it was like a tiny little link in his in his newsletter. But he's got so many subscribers <laughs> that like, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that makes a huge difference. So I, I do think whether it's collab or having somebody else that has a has a big platform like a Benedict Evans, if, if they link to you, I, it does have a big impact. Sure, sure. And then in terms of, so we talked about the cross collaboration, but what about actually like the communities themselves? So like, I think one of the most interesting things about Doff is is the Slack channel, obviously, which we hear about like ad nauseum. Um, but I'm in the Slack channel and I love it. And I talk in there and I learn a lot of things from that. Um, and so I'm wondering how we think about the role of the community part and the, the almost like the free crowdsourcing information versus the premium content and pay gating everything behind it, you know, uh, Akeem, I, I, I don't know if you have started a Slack channel of all the founders that subscribe to elite game developers, but yeah. one might suppose that if they all start talking to each other, they may no longer need you anymore. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not, that's, that, that's not obviously exactly accurate, but I think that's what I think of. I've thought a lot about that as well is sort of like, what's the role of the community Slack channel and what's the role of the premium content? Um, does that make any sense? Yeah. I don't know if I'm sounding yeah. confusing, but. I, I think it, like the, I've been thinking about that for for years. Like, when do I have a Slack or a Discord for founders? I think one of the the key reasons I've been holding on back on it is like that would actually require me to get somebody else on board. Mm. I, I think like doing it well, like running live ops for a community, is is a, like <laughs> it's it's a big job. It's mm-hmm. not like you can just you know use ChatGPT to come up with new cool things for people to do every day. Um, so like, I, I think that's that's one of the reasons. I, I don't really want to create like a ghost town Slack or a mm, Discord I if I if I if I don't do it really carefully. So that's the main main reason I haven't done it yet. That's wise because Navik created a ghost town and <laughs> in some ways with, with our with our Discord. Um, with, with Navik, I mean, we we sort of have two tiers of community. We have our contributors, and basically, like ninety ninety five percent of our contributors have come from our audience um, because they like what we do. They want to be a part of it. Uh, like we have our own Slack where there's lots of conversation and things across you know lots of different channels. And then of course there are, there are like the the benefits of 
of like, you know, getting feedback on what you do, um, you know, the connections Novik has and how it's led to, you know, different people's jobs and investments and, and rounds and, and things like that, that add value. Um, but yeah, creating a community for everyone, uh, I've learned is a lot harder than it looks. And you like really have to put time and effort aside to make sure that it it blossoms and that it holds over time. Uh, they're they're definitely hard to maintain, and so um, you know w- the mistake we made was just doing too many things at once, and that was like one of the things that just sort of um, dropped. And we of course hope to get back to it at some point because we think it's important. But kind of in the order of operations of all the things that we're doing, um, community hasn't quite made that list of like like being the next big thing that we like really want to put all of our efforts around um, just because we've learned that it's harder, <laughs> harder than it looks. But I would love to, um, you know, not have a ghost town, but also to just like a bigger picture. We have, um, you know, we're talking about like, there is more room for cross collaboration. The way I view it is just that like, I don't, th- I think there's room for more people to share their voices and share their learnings and all of that kind of stuff more broadly. But I don't, want that to turn into more silos. Um, and I think that, um, you know, with the rise of Substack and things like that, it sort of has gone on that trajectory, which is great and empowering to individuals. Um, but I do think that there's more that people can do to like team up in ways beyond just like sharing links. Like what would it look like if we were all to like build a community together, for example, or like, what would it look like if we were to, you know, not just do all of our own content individually, but like work on more stuff together um, or fold certain certain platforms into one. And, you know, you know, it, like the, the more you think about it, the more complicated it gets. Reality is complicated. But I think like expanding that conversation to be more about lowering silos, um, I think is probably where the most powerful, you know, next steps and all of this might lie. Yeah, and I don't mean to jump in here, but one of my recommendations in that paper that I ended up writing because I had to make a recommendation uh, as part of like the requirements for this essay um, is that I always should consolidate the podcasting and blogging groups. So basically, combine premium brands that have strong writing teams with those that have the best podcasts and those that have the best consulting services, and this could create some sort of consolidated um, audio expa- um, audience expansion that might actually enable to scale business. Right, so. I think that is actually something that I was going to ask you guys about. And like a final question is sort of what do you guys think about that, right? If you're, if JK, you're a free to play mogul on mobile and Joachim, you basically serve founders and Aaron, we're doing financial markets and stuff like that updates, right? Like one could consider that, that that's all a basically a buffet menu of support, right? And, you know, and then you have the new stuff with Deconstructor, right? Like what would the world look like if all like of these big brands were to combine together? Um, and if that's true, sort of like, do you think that that's something that's realistic to hit a enterprise and, and, and business scale, in which case it could be profitable or not? Or does that just put on too much bloat and then the cost structure is too heavy and the users are still the same? It's an interesting thought. I, I, I do think from a content and consistency perspective, like you could release content every day in that scenario. But um, I don't know. Yeah, interesting to think about. So I've thought about this a yeah. lot, actually. And um, I it's it's easier said than done is the way that that I'll I'll put it because um, you know the the main reason why is you know sort of what we've talked about here is that like the actual businesses that we have are so different and the content 
serves those businesses in different ways. And so it's not even just about combining content. It's about thinking about like the implications of like, if you combine content, what does that mean for the, like the, the businesses behind them? Um, and I think that, um, there still is some merit in thinking about that. Like, sure. What if you had consulting and investing and game making in some ways, like under, under the same roof, I think you could unlock some interesting, like really interesting, um, things and that'd be pretty powerful but when you do that you're you know you're dealing with like you know individuals or organizations in different stages with different cap tables with different goals um that want different things and it just like the more you dig into it the harder the harder it gets um but i i'm all for it in theory and so i think this is something that we should all talk about you know more you know, offline, or if you're listening, come reach out, you know, it'd be fun conversations to have, whether it's, you know, little collaborations or something, something bigger. Um, but yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, thought. Think, I, I think at the minimum, whether it's in YouTube land or in music, there's, there's always collaborations between different, different groups. And I, I, I think that the net effect is that it improves both parties. But one, one thing I also think, um, instead of going broad, is also going the opposite way. So you, you had mentioned Slack community. So I, I do have a private Game Makers Slack channel, which is capped at 55 members. And it's very active. It's very, very active. And uh, on top of that, the other thing that I, I would recommend for a lot of people to do, and one of the most valuable uses of my time is actually having like a, well, a monthly, um, you know, tribe, basically a group of six, seven, um, gaming CEOs that, that meet and talk about various topics every month. And that has been one of the most useful, you know, uh, uses of my time. Uh, and it's just been very, very helpful. Um, and so whether it's the Slack channel where you can, because it's private, there's an advantage in the sense that you could be more open. You can talk about things that you wouldn't want in a channel with a bunch of people and a bunch of lurkers and who knows who's going to like screen cap and share and, and do things like that. And, you know, in a private setting with, with a tribe that you're talking about, you can talk about very sensitive topics that, that you know, that is going to just be within, within your group. So, uh, I would, I would highly recommend uh, other people, um, whether you're an executive or, you know, even if you're even if you're a product manager, like getting a group of, of five or six other product managers to have a, a monthly call so that you can all get better is is some you know it's it's not content related, but I I think t- speaking in terms of more niche and having private groups, I think there's a big advantage. Yeah, that is a very very awesome idea actually. Um, even for because I think when you think about going to big company, right, you might work on a PM team, but if you're at a startup, right, you might be a discipline of a one of, right? You might be the only producer, you might be the only artist, or you might be the only PM. And I think like that cross sharing and collaboration, if like your brand gives that avenue and access to do so in that tribe format, is actually really quite powerful. Um, and it's also kind of it's also kind of like what the venture portfolio co pitch is too. Um, so you're kind of like eating into like maybe that value proposition of like what a um, you know what a makers or bitcraft or forerunner or whatever might provide if you're coalescing with that port co because I think that's also the the pitch of like um, of joining that community as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's that's part of the reason why ter- things turn into ghost towns. You bit put like too many people into one place mm. and they they don't discourse anymore. 
but it needs to be like these small groups, like five to six, like JK said. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, and then, Joachim, I know that you had something to say earlier, but I accidentally, um, we may have cut you off by going to JK first, but just wanted to give you the airtime in case there was something there. Yeah. I think like like I earlier said like about this this idea of just being consistent, like with a lot of stuff that all of us are doing, like if you have a, a bad episode or or a, or a newsletter that just isn't didn't work there's another one next week you know there's always <laughs> the, the yeah. next, one, next one so i think that that's something i've learned to to deal with like that if if some something like i post on social media and there's one person who had reacted to it in for 24 hours I, i've got a good example of that <laughs> later yeah go so, ahead <laughs> so uh so i i think Elon Musk sent an uh, an email about being hardcore, something like that. So as a joke in my newsletter, I I, I took his email and and I just changed it around, and I lost like like twenty five subscribers because they were all pissed off, but they didn't realize it was a joke. <laughs> okay. But yeah, yeah. So that that would be an example of like a bad <laughs> newsletter where I piss people off. <laughs> sure, oh. sure. And then I was like, oh, a lot of people don't like Elon. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's polarizing, right? I think that's actually the question is like, do you do you go for the polarizing ends if we're talking about going deep or going far? Um, is in terms yeah. of that. But fortunately, we're not really like um, political. Yeah, I guess. Chris um, hasn't. Yeah, Chris hasn't been canceled yet, so I guess he's <laughs> still going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. I think that this is actually a perfect note to end on. So our note, our note is that there's always another newsletter. So if one's bad, there's always another one coming. And don't put Elon memes or quotes in your newsletters because it's um, ostracizing and you'll lose subscribers. So that's the trick. No Elon and more newsletters and consistency. That's um, all you need so to I- know. <laughs> and so I think for you guys, I, I think everybody here is so easily accessible over, via their own blogging services. But um, once more, you know, Aaron from Novik and JK from Game Makers and Joachim from Elite Game Developers, everybody in the audience, if you want to access any of these guys, just go and follow their channels. Um, look them up on Google. Should be very, should be very easy, actually, since you know, we're front-facing community brands. Um, and so on that note, uh, we'll be concluding. Uh, big thank you, JK, Aaron, and Joachim for coming on. Thank you to our listeners, and I'll be back in two weeks. Um, and so until next time, friends, feel free to hit me up at alexandra.novic.co if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. would love to hear your feedback. And with that, au revoir. Bye, guys. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novik has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novik.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novik Digest, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novik.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.